Okay, so uh, this is our second to last message in 1 John in our series, Walking in the Light. Hasn't it been a great series? Uh, I've just gotten word from all kinds of people of how God has spoken to them through this, and, and we're just so incredibly grateful for that. So while you're turning there, uh, however you're doing that with your Bible or your phone, um, I would like to begin with kind of an autobiographical comment uh, this morning. Um, when I first came to know Christ, and that date would be February 8th, 1978, and I realize as soon as I say that, I sound like a history lesson, okay? But I began to read through the Bible. Had never read through the Bible, didn't know you could do that or were supposed to do that. Uh, I read through the Bible twice in six months. I was so afraid I'd never catch up. I was 22 years behind. I would never catch the people who had been walking with Jesus for a long time. And so I just roared through that thing. But this chapter, 1 John chapter 5, blew me away. I was absolutely stunned when I hit this chapter. Um, the clarity of it was stunning. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, how could I have never seen what was in this chapter? And then it occurred to me, well, dummy, you have to read it to be able to see it, right? Uh, but I had never even heard like what's in this chapter. And um, just going back through it brought that moment all back to me again this week. So I've had a great deal of fun uh, with this this week. And I just want to share that it's just an absolute privilege to walk it through with you together. Just, just great. So let's begin where we left off two weeks ago. 1 John chapter 5. We're in chapter 5 now, verse 4. And uh, let's remind ourselves of what John was exhorting us. What John was saying is this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? All right, remember that? We, we went through that. Notice that the overcoming part is tied to our faith, and that faith is placed in the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. This is what John is exhorting us to hold on to at all costs, no matter what comes your way. And I want to just suggest this morning, some of you may be learning this uh, in the present circumstances, that uh, overcoming takes courage, right? And overcoming takes endurance. Well, we often think or say, uh, gosh, I wish God spoke to me like he did to the people in the Bible. You ever had that thought, you know? I'd be careful with that, right? Not so fast. Many of the things that God laid out or said to the people in the Bible were very hard, very difficult. For example, God engages a young Jeremiah, the prophet, who's entering into kind of the middle of his ministry. And uh, it's gotten harder for Jeremiah, a lot harder. And uh, he still has a long way to go. And the pressure has increased. His margins are beginning to shrink. And he just thought that he, Jeremiah, ought to let God know about that. Right? You can read it in the book of Jeremiah. Sounds like us right now, doesn't it? Right? And God's response back to him is equally frank. Here's what God says back to him. He says, if you've raced with men on foot and you've wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in the safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? 
right? There's all kinds of things you can unscramble from that. But basically, in other words, what he's saying is, if, if it's hard for you to walk with God when things are good, how are you going to walk with God when things get difficult? Right? And likewise, we've had it very good in this country for a long time. Things are getting more difficult. They may get even more difficult. And by the way, I'm not saying this because I'm particularly courageous or steadfast. Okay? I'm a wimp and whiner with the rest of you. Okay? I, right? I, I can do it with the best of them. But um, I'm just saying that as it was for Jeremiah, so it may be with us. And I want to remind us that Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 10, tells us, for you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. In other words, God expects us to carry this all the way through, not half, not 60%, not three quarters, not 90. He expects us to finish the race in faith. And so John's going to lay out this source for this endurance. And, uh, and before we go there, we should lift this up in prayer. All right, Father, as we seek you, we know stuff is challenging. We know th- stuff is difficult. Uh, Lord, there are people... Uh, that are wrestling with things. There's a great deal of anxiety in our culture, a great deal of anxiety in this room uh, that can easily tip into fear. There, there's, it's easy to be controlled by that. Lord, and we seek you this morning that as we walk through this bedrock foundation that John lays out, you will re-anchor us to the most foundational gospel truth that there is, that Jesus is Lord of all. And Lord, we seek you this morning that you would calm us as a good dad, that you'd let us know that you're here with us, that you would let us know you're going to be with us. You'd let us know that you're going to help us. And Lord, we seek you for that in your name. We pray this, Lord Jesus, amen. Okay. Well, as I said, so John's now, so here we go. John's now, second last message in John. John's going to lay out what I would call his foundation piece. This is the anchor piece. The title of the message this morning is Stay Anchored in Jesus. This is the anchor piece for John, uh, and it will lead us to communion. This is uh, his evidence piece, the, or another way to say it, his main thing, right? If you a lot of times say, boil it down, what's the main thing? This would be John's main thing here this morning. By the way, this is why we do what we do. This is why we are a church. This is John's wrap-up, his closing argument, so to speak. And so let's step into it. Let's take a look. 1 John 5, 6 says this, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. We've seen, again, over and over in 1 John, uh, Jesus was really divine and really human. Remember the argument was, he couldn't have been human because that would have meant he's a flesh, which meant he's a corrupted, da-da-da-da-da, all that stuff. And John is coming back saying, no, he's human just like us. And there's uh, numerous analogies that can be drawn from this statement in the water and the blood. Let's look at a couple of these. Analogy number one is a baby being born. This, if you're a parent, you get this one really quickly. Uh, the first analogy is how a baby comes into the world. A baby's brought into the world through water and the blood. Anyone who's ever seen amniotic fluid and ever seen a placenta knows the truth of that statement. I've watched all four of my kids being born. One of the most miraculous experiences in life. Absolutely fabulous. And as earthly as that statement, as earthy as that statement is, 
It's part of the centerpiece of John's argument. His point, Jesus was a real person, a real baby. He was actually born just like us. He was born of water and the blood just like us. And every single one of us in this room have been born of the water and the blood. That's why we're sitting here this morning. Number two, Jesus' death on the cross. Part of John's singular, singular witness, if you read John's gospel, very different than the other three gospels, and part of his witness in that gospel is the piercing of Jesus' side by the centurion. John's eyewitness testimony is that when the soldier pierced his side with that spear, that outflowed water and blood. And so as blood and water is the sign of his birth, so blood and water is also the sign of his death. John wanted people to know that Jesus had actually really died. He didn't feign it, right? It wasn't a fake job. It wasn't, uh, you know, a hologram or some clever thing like we, uh, CRG and that kind of stuff that we have today. They didn't have that back then, right? He wanted people to know Jesus actually died. Doctors will tell you that when blood and water separate like that, it is a sure sign of cardiac arrest and the death of the patient. Number three, it's also blood and water is a symbol of baptism and communion. There, these are the symbols, the water and the blood of the two ordinances that have passed down to us that we keep until he returns. Baptism, uh, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist uh, into his ministry. And then communion, Jesus left a word picture, an object lesson, repurposing the Seder meal or the Passover meal to remind us of his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, and which we will be sharing in this morning. There's a third witness besides the water and the blood, though. That's the Holy Spirit. Did you pick that up in that passage? And it says this, And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Uh, we've gone over uh, at length John's coverage of the calling, of the, Holy, uh, calling the Holy Spirit the Spirit of the truth. Uh, if you're new today uh, or watching online and you're just picking up on this, you can go to John's gospel and just read chapters 14 through 17, which is called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And you can look at that and see how John rolls that out in those chapters. And you'll understand what he's talking about in 1 John here. So not only do the water and the blood testify, but so does the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit testifies that the water, baptism, and blood crucifixion, that those events are true. John is also doing something else here. He's trying to alert us to the necessity of the Holy Spirit. We don't just need the water and the blood. We also need the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, let's just get out of our Baptist mindset for a second. The Holy Spirit is not just for charismatics, all right? I got news for you. Anybody who's been born of Jesus has been born of the Holy Spirit, Right? He's not freaky, he's not weird, he's a wonderful person, and he has taken care of you all the years that you've known the Lord. So embrace him. Let him be who he is. The Holy Spirit testifies that these are true events, and John is trying to alert us of the necessity of the Holy Spirit. As I said this morning, all of us are born of the water and the blood. That's called the first birth. Right? That's when you were born. You have a birthday. Mine is January 1st, 1956, right? You have your date. Um, yes, that really was a year, okay? Nice try. Um, but that, 
That's the first birth. But then you also have to be born of the Spirit. That is what's called the second birth. So just like you were born into this world, this planet, as a baby, and there was a specific date for moms. Many of you remember not only the date, but the hour, right? You got the hour down. Okay, that's when that baby came. So also there needs to be a second birth, which is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at Jesus' baptism and confirmed Jesus' identity. Do you remember that scene? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember God said that? The Holy Spirit was also at the crucifixion and validated uh, not only his, Jesus' death, but also the resurrection. John adds to this and says this, For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. So the three authenticating witnesses for Jesus' claims about who he was are the Holy Spirit, the water, and the blood. Now, put some of these pieces together now. We must remember that Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And thus Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit, so also we must be born by the Holy Spirit. And the question this morning is, do you have the testimony of the water and blood this morning? Well, obviously, you do or you wouldn't be sitting here, right? You have a birthday, like we mentioned. You're here. You were born at a specific time, a specific place, to a specific mother. And so we have proof and evidence that, of that birth by you being here this morning. If we come up and say, hey, what's your birthday? You'd be able to tell us, right? Likewise... The question is this morning, do you have the testimony of the Holy Spirit that you've been born into God's family? Again, most of us here this morning do. We can tell our story and tell you the time where we met Jesus in a living and real way and it changed our life. And because of that, that's why we're here, right? We wouldn't be here if we didn't have that. But there may be some among us, uh, either watching online or uh, who are sitting here this morning who do not have this testimony. They don't have this witness of, their, of the Holy Spirit. And John's argument is that God's testimony is more important than man's testimony. In other words, what God says about you is more important than what man or people say about you. And John's saying that God's testimony is that Jesus Christ is his son. Do you accept that testimony this morning? John says this, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. And what was that testimony? Well, the apostle Peter gives an amazingly uh, concise definition at the beginning uh, of the church movement, which was actually Pentecost. And remember, the tongues of fire came down, thousands crowded around. And Peter gave this retort when they asked, hey, what in the world is going on here this morning? Peter says this, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, very specific, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. He had healed a person. <clears throat> this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name, the only name by which we can be saved. Now, where did Peter and John get this from? You hear John saying this, you hear Peter saying this. By the way, Paul says this in a bunch of places as well. But they actually get this from Jesus himself. John 14, 6 said this, Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me, or no man comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you do know him and have seen him. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you know me, you know the Father. If you know the Father, you'll know me, because the Father and I are one, and I'm the door. I'm the way into that relationship that you've got to walk. Jesus inextricably links his identity with the Father as inseparable. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must come through Jesus for eternal life. Thus John can write, look at 1 John again now, we're looking at verses 10 through 12. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I wish I could capture that moment when I first read those verses some 40 years ago. Blew me out of the water. Shouldn't have. I should have been aware of it, but it just caught me flush. I was stunned. I couldn't read anymore. Remember the Apostles' Creed? That's what the first part of the Apostles' Creed says. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. So what scripture's saying here is we will either meet him as judge or we will meet him as savior. To meet him as savior and not meet him as judge, you've got to be born again. You've got to meet him. You've got to have the second birth. You've got to have the witness of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have to have this testimony within yourself. So then the question must be asked, well, how does he get in you? Uh, And the answer is, you must ask him in. You must surrender your own self-rule and by faith ask him to come in and save you. Again, a little autobiographical story here. I had known that creed all my life. I grew up in a Catholic background. I could memorize it and say it to you backwards and forwards. But I did not know Jesus. I knew about Jesus. I did not know Jesus. And when I actually did that, surrendered, and asked him in, I was shocked. Because I realized I had had everything all turned around backwards. Uh, what was I called good was bad. Uh, what I called fun was evil. I, I mean, I was just all messed up. I was absolutely shocked. Um, I found I was living a lie. God had been graciously reaching out to me time and time again. I, I look back in hindsight, I'm just astonished at it. But I misunderstood the message. 
I misunderstood his intentions. And so I thought he was the one that I had to fight. And so I had my dukes up, and we were ready to go. I wrestled in high school and college. You want to rock this? Let's go, right? And, and so I, I just, uh, as a result, I stalled. I dragged my feet. I procrastinated. I walled. I ignored. I filibustered. I ran. I hid. I pretended not to hear. Any of us ever do that one? I skipped towns, I skipped states, I skipped meetings, I skipped reading, I avoided people. I self-medicated. Isn't that a nice way to put it instead of saying I was an alcoholic or a drug addict? And self-medicating makes me sound so much better in front of you, right? I fought hard. But like Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, he says, Paul, Paul, it's hard to kick against the goads. Right? And a goad, because we're not farmers, a goad is a stick. It's about this long. It's got a really pointy metal end, and it's designed when you're plowing. If the ox isn't walking, you just poke him. Right? And that encourages the ox to move forward. <laughs> Sometimes the ox will get stubborn and try to kick back. Well, what, the harder it kicks, the more it pokes. Right? And eventually the ox realizes, I better just start walking. Okay? I was that ox. The Holy Spirit is relentless, and thank God for that. I was miserable. You know, they call him the hound of heaven for a reason. I tried every way to get God off my tail and off my tracks and couldn't do it. I could not shake him off my trail. I ran out of gas and crashed into the kingdom of God on February 8, 1978, as I mentioned, at 3 in the morning in a powdered milk factory in Denmark, Wisconsin. And I realize as soon as I say that again, I sound like a history lesson, right? But that's an actual place. Pam has actually been there. She'll be here this morning. She's upstairs helping Kayla right now. But if you ask her, she's actually been there in the factory. We took her down to the spot where all that story happened, right? I brought this along this morning. This is uh, my dad's lake-to-lake glass. I don't know if you can see it out there with the lights and that kind of stuff. This is actually a 25th anniversary glass from 1986. Uh, from that company. Uh, I keep it in the cupboard to remind me of what God did in my life that night. Every time I open the car, I go, ah, lake to lake, that's where I met Jesus. Got it. It's just a little token and memento. But on the other side of being saved, I was enormously grateful and full of joy. Uh, Nuts would be a better word. I had a boatload of sins that were crushing me. The relief was awesome. And 42 some years later, I look back in horror and realize how utterly inappropriate I had been. Oh my gosh, what an awful way to treat a good God. Evil would be a better word. But I also realized in the midst of that, as I look back, how great God was, how kind God was to me as a father. And I realized that this Jesus, this guy that uh, I had always heard about all my life, who I kind of relegated to as kind of a good story or a fairy tale, right? Much like you'd read a book and put it away, nice, but it's not real. That's kind of how I approached it. He actually was real. He was present and you could know him. And I was blown away by that. I still am today. I, I, I get squeezed into this pastor mold now, you know, well, Steve, what you do, you do because you're religious and you make money at it and that's why you get by and you do that. No, no, I don't do any of that because of that. 
I do that because Jesus saved me, and the truth of the matter is I never wanted to be a head pastor. But I do it because that's what God called me to do. And I do it because I'm trying to give something back out of a great debt of, uh, that I owe him out of love for what he's done for me. And it's so hard to tell you that other side of the story because it sounds like it was so long ago, but it's still present. Now, my story is unique to me, right? You don't have to have my story, my testimony to be saved. But, and by the way, I'd encourage you not to have my story. All right, that'd be, that'd be good. But you do have to have a testimony. You have to have your story. You have to know when you met Jesus. You have to know when you came into the kingdom. Your story, your witness of how you met Jesus and how he came into your life and saved you. If you don't have that, good news. Good news. That's what the gospel's called, even Gilliam, the good news. Here's the good news. You can gain that testimony this morning or witness by believing and following what the Bible says. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, in other words, that that really happened, that that's actual real life history that's going on right now this minute, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I like another translation that says, will never be put to shame. Okay? That's one of our concerns from the human side. For there is no distinction between the Jew or the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Right? Has God bestowed some riches on people in this room who've called on him? Can we get an amen on that? Right? Like, yes. Right? The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who come for everyone. Everyone. Other translations say anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's just stop here for a moment and pray. Right? Would you join me? Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here this morning or watching online and they find themselves crying out to you to save them in their gut, in their heart, in their head, they're going, I've got to do that. Yes. And there's a battle going on and one side says jump and the other side says don't. Lord, may you hear their prayer and give them the confirming presence of the Holy Spirit as an answer to their prayers. May they seek forgiveness of their sins. That is something only you can do. And commit to loving you with all their heart. May they from this moment forward trust you with all their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. If you took that step, if you've been prayed to be saved, please let us know. Uh, online, you can email us here. You can talk, you can... Whatever works best. We'd love to help you in first steps of what to do now that you're saved. And let's move to communion this morning. Online family, this would be time to get the uh, elements ready uh, at home. Uh, family here, make sure you got it. Reach around. They're, they're scattered next to you. Remember the uh, statement by John that we covered earlier? He said this, For there are three that testify. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. Obviously, the spirit is the Holy Spirit. 
The water symbolizes baptism, which if you've asked Christ into your life and you're saved, you should get baptized into the faith. Uh, again, we'd be glad to help you with that and talk to you about that. And then there's the blood, which symbolizes Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. The Bible in the book of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no remissions for sin. That's how costly sin is. Jesus has dumped something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And at the Last Supper, he took the Seder element which had always foreshadowed him and repurposed the picture to remind us to stay surrendered, to stay loyal, to stay faithful, to keep loving, and to serve well. And we're going to do that together this morning. I was wise this week. I opened it before the service started. The three agree, the water, the blood, and the spirit. What did Jesus say? This is a symbol of my body which will be broken for you. You've read the stories. You know the pain. You know what he did for you. He said, eat this in memory of me. And when they broke his body, he bled. He said, this will be a symbol of my blood, the cup of the new covenant. He says, I will never drink this again until I come back for you. Therefore, we are waiting for him to return. He says, drink this in memory of me. I'm going to call the worship team up. Let's pray this morning. Father, even in the midst of our world right now, you are marvelous, you are gracious, you are forgiving. You're still the hound of heaven, you're still chasing people. Lord, right now, this minute, there are probably people in Mill Creek who you're chasing, and they are bugged by you. You've irritated them. They have wanted you to stop. They have trying to get away. And Lord, we pray that you just continue to hound them that you would go after them until this deal is done and finished and those who you are chasing you catch. Lord, we seek you that you would turn them around like you've turned me around. Lord, we pray that you would whisper to our area, come back, come back, come back to me, come back to the church. Lord, we seek you for your work in our community. We ask, Lord, that you would help us have eyes to see where you're working. And we seek you for that with all our heart. And give this to you in your name. Amen. Amen.